their widows were neglected in their daily distributions. And the twelve summoned the body of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. There they sat before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands upon them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Peace be to you, the reader. to them, 
Do not be amazed, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen, he is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he was going before you to Galilee. There you will see him as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had come upon them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Peace be to you who proclaim the gospel. Tired of saying that? How many of you have forgotten to greet one another with this greeting this week? We have this good news given to us at Pascha. And there's this thing we speak of called the joy of the resurrection. And we're supposed to hold on to that. How long? Every single day of our lives. But the church offers us 40 days in which we especially, in church, say Christ is risen to one another. Then we might remember what we have learned. And yet we step out of the church and we step back into our normal, normal lives as if this wasn't normal. And the spirit of forgetfulness, we might call it the demon of forgetfulness, wants to take away everything that we gain during Great Lent and especially Holy Week and Pascha. And the church desires that we would be brought back again and again so that we will be trained to bring our minds and our hearts back to what the Lord wants to give us. And so today we have a gospel which takes us right back to the, the day of the resurrection. The moment when it was revealed to the myrrh-bearing women who had been faithful and had used their own resources to supply Christ's needs during his earthly ministry. And in, and in his death, on the way to the tomb, what are they thinking of? They're not thinking of the glorious resurrection. They're thinking of the suffering of their Savior. They're thinking of their own broken hearts and their own suffering. And today the church asks us to enter back into that. Because as they approached the tomb, they were remembering the cross and the suffering of Christ. And we can never separate the resurrection from the cross. For what God has accomplished on the cross, He proves by His resurrection. And the two are forever linked. The suffering of Christ and the glory of His third day resurrection. Allow me to read for you one of the Vespers hymns from last night that attempts to bring us into this Pascha. Joseph, together with Nicodemus, took thee down from the tree, who clothed thyself with light as with a garment. 
He gazed on a body dead, naked, and unburied. And in grief and tender compassion, he lamented, Woe is me, my sweet Jesus. A short while ago, the sun beheld thee hanging on the cross, and and it hid itself in darkness. The earth quaked in fear at the sight. The veil of the temple was torn in two. Lo, now I see thee willingly submit to death for our sake. How shall I bury thee, O my God? How shall I wrap thee in a shroud? How can I touch thy most pure body with my hands? What songs can I sing for the Exodus, O compassionate one? I magnify thy passion. I glorify thy burial. And I glorify thy holy resurrection, crying, O Lord, glory to thee. So as we, in the midst of the feast of the resurrection of Christ, we are brought back to the intensity of the suffering of Christ, which achieves for us our salvation. Another hymn from last night's Vespers. This one's a little shorter. And we sing this one, I think, at almost every Sunday Orthros. The myrrh-bearing women at dawn, very early in the morning, standing outside the tomb of the giver of life, found an angel who was seated upon the stone. And the angel cried out to them, saying, Why do you seek among the dead the one who lives? Why do you grieve as though dead, as though dead, the one who cannot die? The angels might say to us, as we stand at the tomb, or rather as we walk away from the empty tomb in our joy of the resurrection, why do we still live as if death had not been conquered? Why do we still live as if death is the end of this life? Why do we still worry and fear as we walk through this life? It's because of this forgetfulness. Moreover, maybe it's because we don't understand fully. Every day our minds are filled with cares of this life. Jesus tells a parable of the seeds of the good news falling on the soil that had thorns in it. And, the, and as the seed grew up, it was joyful, but it was choked out by the cares of this life. And the cares of this life threaten us. The pride of life threatens to extinguish the joy of the resurrection. And some of us struggle, I know I do, with this phrase, the joy of the resurrection. Is this something I'm supposed to feel? Is it emotional? And I think the fathers would say, no. The joy of the resurrection is found someplace deeper. And we have a little trouble with this because where do we live most of our time? We live in our hats. We are busy with our thoughts and our minds and we here we try to hold the knowledge of Christ and the resurrection, the knowledge of our salvation and it gets crowded out by all the other things that we must hold in our head. The responsibilities and the cares of this life. The things that we must learn at school. The things that we have to do in our jobs. And we forget that there is something deeper than our minds. The church calls it the heart. Sometimes it's referred to the noose. And some of the fathers say, especially um, Elder Sophroni and St. Silouan and Father Zacharias, they say that there's the deep heart. 
And our minds and our hearts are not always together. In fact, we go through our life much of the time forgetting that we have a heart. And by heart, I do not mean the seat of our emotions. Where we often, in our senses, are driven. We say we like to think in our hearts, but often we are being driven by our, our passions. I'm not talking about that heart. I'm talking about the heart, the eye of our soul. And we are told by the fathers that we are trying to bring our mind into our hearts. So that the joy of the resurrection and the knowledge might enter into a more deep place. A place where it cannot be crowded out by the cares of this life. St. Silouan says, there are three ways that we can begin to bring our minds into our hearts. One, first and foremost, is by the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Number two, is by participating fully in the life of the church through the Divine Liturgy and the Holy Eucharist. And the third, which we kind of hear and forget about, is that we are supposed to be mindful of death. And I think, for myself at least, this is probably one of the most... You've heard this phrase before, the mindfulness of death, remembering death. is one of the most misunderstood. Because this is not a, a sort of... Uh, self-centered look and fear and a remembrance that my own death when we look at the world we would see that death is at work everywhere we know that we our bodies will die and we can see this death working around us we see corruption we see we see conflict we see violence And we know that death is at work. And yet, there's a beautiful world that God has given us. And so we try to make the best of it. We try to block out those things. We try to to remove ourselves from those things where clearly death is working. And really celebrate life. But we tend to celebrate life as if it's just going to end in death. We do not look at all of those things, all of our lives, as having been completely conquered. When we look at those things, we sometimes despair. We need to remember that life itself, Jesus Christ, love himself, has conquered death and everything associated with it. I've been thinking quite a little bit about death lately. Partly from my reading of St. Silouan and Father Zacharias. But I had a wonderful opportunity last weekend to spend with my father-in-law, Wayne Duco. He is very near death. I would say he's approaching the end of his life. And it was a beautiful experience. It was too short and it was difficult and it was difficult to leave and to leave the responsibilities of his care with others. But I saw in him a person who is dying well. And I hope that all of you can have a chance to spend time with a person who is near the end of their life or who is in the process of dying. Especially one, a person of faith who is dying well. Where when almost everything has been taken away from him, 
They have less pride and more humility. They have more hope and less fear. And they hold on to the one thing that they can do for themselves. They can call out to Christ who has overcome death. How can we embrace our hearts so that we can bring the joy of our resurrection into a place that can never be taken out? So that our hope will be firm and we will not live in this life as if death has won, but with the firm, true knowledge that love has conquered death. Life has conquered death. Jesus Christ has put death to death. Father Zachariah says, Our entire struggle in this life is aimed at discovering our deep heart, because that is the place where God manifests Himself. Above all, we aim to uproot the passion of pride within us, because the passion of pride is what buries the heart. If, however, we succeed in finding our deep heart, then our mind will drop anchor not only in the heart, but also in the depths of heaven, where our life is hid with Christ in God, and God will come and make His abode with us. My brothers and sisters in Christ, we are in a time where we are celebrating the joy of the resurrection. And... We now have a hard time probably listening to me talk about death in a hopeful and joyful way. But the death of Christ is forever linked to the joy of the resurrection. He did not come to abolish suffering. He came to unite. He came to you enter into our suffering and unite it to His cross so that we could share in His resurrection. The mindfulness of death will allow us, not the mindfulness of our own death, not some sort of somber view, but our look at the world and the fact that death all around us has been overcome. It has been defeated. Mindfulness of death is therefore a gift of God which assists man in finding his heart, which is the beginning of the healing of the person. The paradox of this is that mindfulness of death liberates man from the fear of death and leads him to see all things from the perspective of the love of God. We are invited by our Lord to see all things from the perspective of the love of God. All the good things in this life that we love to enjoy and all the difficult things in this life that we suffer, we are to see them through the lens of the resurrection. Because the death of Christ and our own death makes possible the resurrection, our own resurrection into life. May we today, through the name of Jesus, through the Holy Eucharist, His body and His blood, and His participation, our participation in the liturgy, and
and through the mindfulness of death that has been completely vanquished and overcome in this world. And may we begin to unite our our minds and our hearts so that we might live in this knowledge all the time. That we would not live in defeat in this world, but we would live in the victory of Christ's resurrection. Amen. Christ is risen.